Radio Mano Papachango. Coming to you from one of the less exotic spots. Uh, I'm I'm parked along the side of uh, Padre Juan Street in Ojai, California. Ojai's kind of cool. I wouldn't say it's exotic. It's uh, I guess it used to be kind of a funky place back in the day, and now it's kind of a country club art gallery ye olde shoppy kind of uh, place where, you know, rich people come for the weekend and spend a bunch of money at a spa and buy art. But um, anyway, I'm up here to meet a woman who I've been corresponding with for a few years now. What the hell is her name? It's like Eile or something. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. She's Finnish. And there are like umlauts all over the place, so I'm not sure exactly how she pronounces her name. Uh, in any case, I'm meeting her for dinner in about half an hour, and uh, I brought my recording gear because I'm hoping she and I will do a podcast in the morning. She's um, an anthropologist, and I don't think I've met her. I think I met her boyfriend. I'm not sure how we met. We'll talk about it in the podcast. Uh, and... Yeah, so I guess this will be the intro to that podcast. Let's do it that way. I was I was going to do a Roma, uh, but you know, maybe we'll do like a part Roma. I've only got half an hour. So anyway, I have the gear. I got here early, and I thought, ah, oh, just let's slap something together. Take advantage of time. Be productive, Chris. Do your Tim Ferriss four-hour work week bullshit. So here I am. Uh, instead of just, you know, sitting around drink a beer, you know, read the New Yorker, which is what I normally do if I've got half an hour to spare. But I'm in California. Those of you who have been following my peregrinations, good word there, peregrinations. Um, yeah, I flew into California three days ago. I'm still totally fucked up waking up at three o'clock in the morning, sleeping two hours a night. Uh, that jet lag, jet lag is a bitch. But anyway, I'm here. I'm in California. So it's been an interesting day so far. This morning, I went and looked at an apartment I'm going to be based out of for a while. Um, it's it's a really nice little house uh, in Topanga Canyon, which is my favorite part of the Los Angeles area. And uh, without getting into too much detail... Um, it's it's a place with some very beautiful karma, which to me is uh, more important than the view or the square footage or anything else. It's um, It was a place that was built for a guy who had a um, terminal debilitating disease, and he spent the last, um, I think, 10 years more or less of his life there. And uh, it's been empty since he died, and the people who own it, um, when they heard I was coming to town and, and was looking for a place to stay, 
decided that maybe it was time that um, someone could live there again. And uh, it's been empty for the last four or five years. So I don't want to get into their business too much, um, you know, invade their privacy, but it's just beautiful. You know, the place is beautiful. The, the, the situation is beautiful that they've decided that I'm the guy who can live there again. And, uh, and that they're, you know, partly because of the time that's passed and partly because of the relationship I have with them, they're, they're going to open it up and let me stay there. So that's beautiful. That's uh, wonderful. So that's going to be my home base here in the Los Angeles area f- until further notice. And uh, I'm waiting to hear from my publisher about Civilized to Death. Once I hear from uh, my editor, Ben, and know whether they're going to accept the manuscript as is or I need to do some revisions or whatever it is, then I'll be moving forward with the van project, which will be down in Florida. So I'm going to be moving all over the place. You can, you know, if you're up to date on the podcast, you'll hear me talking about the various places. And I'm going to be traveling around just in the next few weeks as well. Probably head down to Texas, see a friend down there, and then up to San Francisco. I'm trying to set up a a dinner party slash joint podcast with Wim Hof and Stanley Krippner in San Francisco. So I'll keep you posted on that. It looks like it's going to happen. Um, and it's probably going to happen at the home of uh, Sam Lawrence, who had me on his podcast a while back called um, Grow Big Always. I encourage you to check out his podcast. He's, he's still pretty early on. I don't think he's done more than 30 episodes, something like that. But he's had some really interesting people on there, far far more interesting than yours, truly. He's had Stanley on. He's had some... Um, some quite well-known scientists and authors. He's very intellectual and um, he's, he's got a lot of uh, pretty powerful contacts in the world. And I didn't know this when I met Sam, I Googled him after we'd hung out, but he's also the guy sort of responsible for um, the career of, uh, Oh shit. What's his name? The actor who is in um, true detective uh, Dallas Buyers Club, you know who I'm talking about. Matthew McConaughey. He apparently was, if I get the story right, he was a bartender in Texas, maybe Austin, and Matthew McConaughey was a you know a guy who hung out at the bar sometimes, and they'd become friends. And then another guy who was a regular at the bar restaurant was a casting director. And the guy was casting for that that high school, Dazed and Confused, I think it was. Or maybe I'm mixing him up with, um, uh, with, with someone else. But anyway, it was, it was um, high school kids kind of movie. And he was looking for someone to play the role of a kid who had graduated a few years earlier but was still hanging around. So looking for someone around 20, you know, early 20s. And anyway, Sam said, oh, you should meet this guy, Matthew. He's he's super good looking and, you know, got a lot of charisma and whatever. And he hooked them up. And next thing you know, Matthew McConaughey's a rising star and you know the rest. Let me cover a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. Speaking of archives, you guys will remember Mandy, um, who had, and also speaking of 
debilitating debilitating diseases. She had um, I don't remember what the disease was, but it was terminal, and she was they they diagnosed her as like on her way out, and she was uh, immobile, I believe. And in a, re- a real bad place. She listened to the podcast and she wrote to me and, and, you know, we talked about her feeling and her status and, and everything. And um, she was looking for another way. And, uh, you know, luckily she found it and she's hooked up with uh, people who probably don't want me to mention their name, but people who do um, ayahuasca, work with ayahuasca in Mexico. And um, she's done some in the last year or so, she's done some really serious work with that and uh, changing her diet. And she's up walking around. I think she said she ran a mile or something the other day. But she's just like absolutely turned her life around. And um, anyway, she's going back to Mexico and she's uh, asked me to you know, mention it to you. I mentioned it uh, the first time she went to Mexico and some of you donated to try to help her fund the trip because she, she can't work. She's, you know, uh, I think she's on disability anyway. Um, yeah. So she's doing a GoFundMe project. And if you want to check her out and get more details about what her condition is and how she's doing and all that, and, you know, maybe, um, you know, throw a few bucks in the jar to help her get to Mexico again. She's at uh, GoFundMe.com forward slash Mandy Heels. Easy to remember. GoFundMe.com forward slash Mandy Heels. Um, yeah, pretty cool. And she's she's sort of training to get into um, into healing herself, I believe. Which is the shamanic way, you know? You, you go through that incredible challenge and if you come out the other side you've got some real knowledge that can be used to help other people so we wish mandy all the best and she's well on her way to uh to healing herself which is so fucking beautiful to see anyway what else can i tell you i guess that's it i um i don't know why i was thinking about the word motherfucker the other day and it occurs to me that it's a really interesting word because I think it is the first, I, I've said this before, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast or on TV show or what, well, not on a TV show, but anyway, motherfucker, I think it's the first swear word. I think it's the primordial swear word because bonobos, with whom we are very closely related, as any of you, you who've read Sex at Dawn know, uh, have engaged in every different sexual combination available. I mean, mother, sister, you know, sister, sister, brother, brother, whatever. And what, incest is not an issue for bonobos, except, except mother, son. That's the only sexual combination that does not occur with bonobos. So if we split from bonobos five million years ago, which is what our DNA suggests, motherfucker could have been, if not a word, if there was no language, the concept of you don't fuck your own mother probably predates language, probably predates our existence as a species. 
It's probably like a last common ancestor taboo. The only one that goes all the way back. But it's a funny one, right? Because motherfucker, it's like if it implies you you fuck your own mother, then okay, that's that hits a really deep nerve. But then if it just implies you fuck a mother or you have fucked a mother, well, every mother's been fucked, right? I mean, other by definition, except for the mother of Jesus. Yeah, what a weird religion that worships virginity how fucked up is that you know that he was born to a virgin poor woman you know she had to go through the pain of giving birth and never even had the advantage of or the experience of fucking yeah that's rough i'm sure i've offended any christians i can't imagine there are any offendable christians who listen to this podcast but if there were they're gone by now so i'm sorry about that but you know what when you think about motherfucker you think about these things and then we have milf actually the other night i was with a friend who's a lawyer and she told me that she knows the guy who who came up with milf he was a client of hers who was a friend of Cher's because she also represented Cher. And so he, what was he? He had a t-shirt company, I think. And he came up with this, you know, mothers I'd like to fuck MILF, you know, construction. So there you go. She was there at when history was made. I'm surprised GILF hasn't become a thing because... Maybe it's just as you get older, or, I, or maybe women are just hotter later in life or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I know some gilfs for sure. Gilf, for those of you who don't know, is grandmothers. Okay, enough of that. Uh, I think I've probably spoken enough here. Or maybe I'll read one letter. I'll read one email. Hold on. He's been with the same woman 30 years, two kids, loves her forever, but the passion has faded. So his question is, would passion return if I mixed it up with other women now and then? Or would I just go on a nonstop fucking free spree and never be able to recover? I told her she can get her freak on if she wants to, which is a slight turn on for me. But she's not really that into it. Um, we both want the passion back. Um, but are we are we fucked is the system rigged so you have to change partners every so often to stay happy kind of hate this trap you know yeah i understand that so am i normal or am i broken my childhood was fine as far as i can remember um so okay his question is is there a way to bring back passion to somebody you've been with for somebody you've been with for, for 30 years I haven't been with someone for 30 years, so I, I don't know that I'm qualified to talk about this. Other people who've, who've like my parents have been together 50 some years and um, my mother doesn't really talk about sexual passion, but uh, my father claims that, you know, he's as into her as ever. I don't know. I think part of that could be how you were raised and, you know, how the eroticism is channeled and so on. But what I would say is that one one formulation that sticks with me is um i think it's from jack morin m o m o r i n and the book was called the erotic mind i believe and he said in that book that um attraction 
plus an obstacle equals passion. I read that book probably 20 years ago, and that that formulation, that very simple mathematical expression has stuck with me because if you look at any love story, they all have that construction. Romeo and Juliet, they're attracted to each other, but they can't get together because their families are from different clans in Italy or whatever it was. West Side Story, oh, they're from different gangs. They can't be together. You know, whatever, there's always an obstacle that stops the couple from getting together. There's always some, there's there's energy and there's resistance to that energy. And so it's like a log falls across the stream. The energy is the flow of the stream, the flow of the water. The log falls across and then what happens? The water starts backing up, right? You build a dam, you block a river, all that blocked Water in the reservoir is energy, which is why it turns the turbines that creates the electricity. You can't just throw some turbines into a flowing river and make a lot of electricity. You need to have the resistance. You need to have the blockage. So in terms of the flow of passion, um, according to Jack Marin, and I think it's probably true to some extent, a great deal of that passion is the result of the blockage. So if you're together for 30 years, you have kids, that river's been flowing freely, right, for a long time. So how do you get the passion back? Well, uh, I don't know. Do you want the passion back, first of all? Because passion... You know, we think of it in retrospect and we say, oh, it's so great, man. When oh, I remember, you know, when we hadn't seen each other for six months and then we got together. You remember that weekend? We just nonstop fucking and just so into each other. And, you know, yeah, that was a wonderful weekend, but it required those six months of not seeing each other. And we don't talk about that. We don't think about that. You know, and again, this is a, a, something I harp on a lot. Like we look at the satisfaction but we don't look at the getting there life is like you know life is like skiing but there's no ski lift you have to walk up that fucking mountain and then ski down so yeah skiing down is great it's seven minutes of fucking bliss but it took you two hours of hiking up the side of the mountain to get up there so you could ski down now if you only remember the ski down and you forget about the walk up you're always going to be unhappy in life because you're forgetting the entire process of happiness. Climbing up the mountain is part of the process, not just skiing down the other side. So if you want the passion, okay, but keep in mind that the price you're going to pay is there's got to be an obstacle. So I would say uh, live separately um, live uh, far apart from each other, maybe, so you only see each other uh, occasionally. So what's going to happen? You're going to miss each other. You're going to be sad. You're going to be lonely. You're going to suffer. But then when you're together, you're going to have this renewed appreciation for each other. But that's how it is. And maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you're really comfortable together. So is passion going to return if you're if you're with other women? Potentially, um, because when you're with other women, the things you'll have experiences and you'll feel um, absences with them that make you appreciate her more. That can definitely happen, especially it sounds like 
you're very much in love and uh, well you you love each other in love I don't know but you certainly love each other very deeply and you have so much in common maybe being with someone else will illuminate that in a way that um, you've forgotten how special she is and how lucky you are and all that but it sounds like she might not be all that into that so you might be doing some damage to her trust and her feeling of safety so ultimately as all these things all these sort of you know give me advice questions they all come down to me saying i don't know you got to talk to each other right you got to find out because yeah there's a potential upside to that but what is the downside is she saying like yeah i don't care you want to fuck the neighbor go fuck the neighbor or is she saying like oh well i love you and if you really need to do that i guess i can probably survive you know that's a very different formulation and the fact that she's not into it suggests um you know that there may be some imbalance there one thing you could try uh, if she's down for it is go to a club if you live in a place where there are swingers clubs you can go to a club and you're not required to have sex at all not even with each other certainly not with anyone else but it might be interesting to just go to a place like that together and see how it feels to be in a room with other people who are having sex and just have a drink and hang out and like sort of watch and talk to people and uh, see how see how you feel, see how she feels, because you might be surprised. The, the joke among swingers is that men have to convince their their wives to go the first time and then. Two hours later, they have to convince them to leave because the women generally think they're not going to be into it. Uh, and then when they see how friendly and accepting and safe the environment is, they end up being way more into it than the guys are. Also, because, you know, women in that sort of environment feel very desired and and. uh there's a lot of energy flowing toward them uh, more than for guys generally. Um, you know, it depends on the couple, of course. But so, uh, you know, be wary of that. It might, you know, you might go there and find out things aren't what you were hoping. I have friends who have been married for quite a while and they opened up their relationship recently due to the man being very... Uh, you know, very uh, into that. And so his wife decided, uh, I, I mean, I, I wasn't privy to their conversations, but my understanding is that he was really pushing for it. She was kind of reluctant, but curious. They opened it up and she immediately hooked up with some guys and uh, had meaningful sexual friendships. And he's having trouble finding anyone and so it sort of blew up in his face but it was his idea so he can't go back on it now so be buyer beware in all these things but yeah i think that you know that formulation attraction plus obstacle equals passion is generally uh, a universal law of uh, human sexual interaction you know, it's beautiful when when it's when it's happening. But but there's all that hunger, you know, like we think about how great that 
that cold beer is after we've been hiking in a dusty mountains all day and da, 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 da. and we just we focus on that moment and the way the cold beer feels in our hands and ah oh, that first taste but we don't you know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how fucking thirsty we got you know for hours before we got to that beer but that's an important part of the process the beer wouldn't taste so good if we didn't have all that all right, I'm back. If this sounds a little different, it's because I'm on a different microphone. And, uh, yeah, things have changed. So here's what happened. I went and had dinner, and it was great. Um, but the wine started flowing, and the music started playing, and we never got around to recording the podcast. So I'm going back to plan A, which was that this would be the episode with Tyler McNiven. Fantastic. Finally, I'm getting Tyler McNiven out there. I recorded this in San Francisco uh, quite a while ago. And uh, believe me, there's nothing there's uh, me having not released this before now is in no way a reflection of this guy not being fascinating and this being anything less than a top notch conversation. Um, It's just... um, I guess it's that I was traveling and, you know, as I was meeting new people, I just wanted to throw them up while it was fresh in my mind and all that. And so Tyler sort of got caught in a in a bit of a a whirlpool there. But anyway, here he is. This is Tyler McNiven. Super fascinating dude. Uh, Actually, I'm just going to let him, you know, tell his story rather than than laying it all out. But it does involve walking the entire length of Japan from island to island and uh, and uh, winning uh, the amazing race, a television series that I did not know existed. But the dude won the amazing race a million dollars. So hit Tyler up for a loan. (laughs) No, don't leave the poor guy alone. I'm sure he spent all the money by now anyway. Um, so, yeah, I uh, recorded that in the car a couple of days ago. I'm now back in Topanga. Uh, and as I said, we never got around to recording that podcast. But hopefully, Eile, again, those Finnish names, I think it's Eile, and I will uh, cross paths again at some point, and we will get around to recording that podcast because she is a fascinating woman. She's, as I think I mentioned earlier, she's worked with the pygmies in Cameroon. She's She was just back from a trip to Mongolia where she was uh, with an ethnomusicologist studying uh, Tuvan throat singing. If, if you don't know what Tuvan throat singing is, here, I'll play a little bit of it for you. So I'm going to keep on going, people, and they tell me next year. I might go to Kazoo to play my thing so they can hear Chessinger singing. That's from a song called The Ballad of Cher Shimjer. Cher, C-H-E-R, and then it's S-H-I-M-J-E-R. And there's a movie you can probably find on Netflix, uh, maybe Amazon, I'm not sure. It's a documentary about the guy singing that, who uh, Paul Pena is his name. He's the blues man uh, singing in the front. 
And um, he wrote uh, Jet Airplane, that Steve Miller classic. Some of you may remember if you're old enough to have been listening to the radio in the late 70s. And for those of you who weren't, you've heard it on the classic rock station. Um, anyway, he wrote that song. He's a blind uh, blues guitarist in San Francisco who was listening to the shortwave radio one night. And he heard Radio Moscow broadcasting the Mongolian throat singing competition. Mongolian and Tuvan throat singing, I believe, are the same. Just two different words for it. And um, what you're hearing in the back is the, the Tuvan guy. They make a, a sound in their throat. And then they make another sound in their navel, navel, in their nasal cavity. And those two wavelengths go together and form a third sound. And there are all these overtones and undertones and resonances uh, that I don't understand. But it's this bizarre thing. So you hear him in the back going, and then there's the he's doing all that at the same time it's pretty amazing so the story was that paul pena got on a big old jet airplane and flew to mongolia this is a blind dude right from san francisco gets on an airplane flies to mongolia lands in ulaanbaatar tells people yeah i want to learn how to do this tuvan throat singing i heard on the radio and they somehow he ends up meeting the guy that had won that year that he heard on the radio and and he does lessons with him and he becomes quite good at it and they become friends and they decide to go on a world tour and i didn't know any of this nobody knew any of this because it was just starting out i was in san francisco at the time this would have been the early 90s i guess and I had no money, and I uh, there was the Bay Area Guardian. They had a, a listing of free, interesting shit going on, so I always checked that out. And there was, I saw, um, you know, Mongolian throat singing concert at the Museum of Asian Art that night in um, Golden Gate Park. And so I called up my girlfriend and said, hey, let's go to this thing. And she was like, all right, whatever. And we went and it was, you know, folding chairs in a in a room in the museum and maybe 100 people there in the audience, something like that. And this dude comes out, this blind dude comes out and sits on a stool with his guitar and he starts telling the story. And it's just like the craziest thing I've ever heard, you know. And then the Mongolian dude comes out his teacher and he's wearing this traditional Mongolian outfit with the hat and the, and he's got a little horse whip that he slaps his leg with every once in a while. It's just the craziest thing ever. This blues and Mongolian duet. It's really cool. Anyway, the movie is called Genghis blues. Uh, highly recommended. Crazy story. Very interesting. Why am I up? That's a tangent, huh? That tangent took us to Mongolia in the early nineties. Anyway, so that's Eileen. She was out there studying that. So uh, looking forward to bringing that to you. But this episode is with Tyler McGiven, as I said. McNiven. 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 M-A-C-N-I-V-E-N. Right. Uh, he does. He's a filmmaker and a reality television contestant is what it says on Wikipedia. But he's so much more than that. He's a very interesting cat. And I met him at the party I mentioned way earlier in this intro at Sam's house in Mill Valley. So that brings it all around. That closes the circle 
Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about, only briefly, just because it's it's topical, it's happening now. I tweeted the other day, I saw this thing where Kim Kardashian got robbed in Paris. And uh, I didn't read about the robbery. You know, I understand she knew people posed as policemen and, and broke into the room and tied her up and stole all her shit. And... Um, but I saw the photograph that she had posted on Instagram uh, flaunting her $4 million diamond ring. And uh, with her, you see her smile in the background. She's got like gold and diamond encrusted grill or some shit. I mean, I'm, you know, I know it makes me sound out of it, but what? You know what? Like t- tooth jewelry? Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, uh, so she's flashing her $4 million ring on Instagram, and then she gets robbed. So I tweeted, uh, sorry, Kim, but anyone with a $4 million ring deserves to have it stolen or something like that. And, you know, I just thought it was, you know, typical sort of dumb thing that people tweet. <laughs> and and I've been very interested and surprised to see how much um, that has angered people. I've gotten a lot of shit over that, uh, including from Mark Manson, a recent guest on the podcast, who said, how is that any different from saying, you know, she was wearing a short skirt, so she deserves it. And that's been the angle that a lot of the anger has taken that I was victim blaming and uh, that that's, you know, uh, in fact, someone said, you know, coming from a man talking about a woman, this is very close to rape apology or something like that. I don't really, is it? I don't know. Uh, I'm not, I I don't want to wade into this uh, because I know it's all such um, sort of explosive stuff, but you know, you got a world where hundreds of millions of kids are going to bed hungry every night. Um, Millions more starving outright. People can't afford medicine for their kids. Hundreds of thousands of refugees are fleeing their homes with nothing. Tens of thousands are uh, risking death floating across the Mediterranean. We live in a very serious time, and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of shit going down. And, yeah, you with your fucking gold teeth and your um, $4 million ring on Instagram, yeah, I don't feel a lot of sympathy. I'm sorry. I just don't. Uh, And that doesn't mean, you know, that everyone has the right to steal anything they want. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that I have any sympathy for the assholes who broke in and tied her up and stole her shit. I mean, I'm sure they weren't, you know, penniless war refugees. They were, you know, Russian mobsters. So it's not like they're going to, you know, it's not like a Robin Hood situation going on. So. Uh, Yeah, I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying that, you know, if you're lucky enough to be filthy rich for no reason other than that you've got a big ass, which I, as far as I can tell, that's the only reason Kim Kardashian's rich. What the fuck? Who who are they? Her father was one of OJ's lawyers. Is that is that how this all started? I don't know. But, you know, you got a four million dollar diamond ring and you're like, oh, look, everyone on Instagram, how rich I am. Well, fuck you. That's how I feel. Fuck you. So you got robbed. Eh, too bad. But 
no, I don't feel sorry. And I don't feel like pointing out that if you wear meat to a dog show, you're likely to get bitten. I don't think that's the same thing as saying, you know, victims of rape deserve it. I, I just don't see that. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the world we live in. So I've been told that yesterday marked one year since the last uh, Toma episode. So I am going to wrap this up, edit this shit together, and then I am going to record a Toma episode this afternoon before I move on to other things. I'm going to play you out with a little ditty called Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. Hope you dig it. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Suede shoes and I boarded the plane Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy Won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel Saw the ghost of Elvis On Union Avenue Followed him up to the gates of Graceland And I watched him walk right through now security, they did not see him They just hovered around his tomb But there's a pretty little thing Waiting for the king Down in the jungle room When I was walking in Memphis I was walking with my feet Ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis On the table, they've got gospel in the air. Reverend Green, be glad to see you when you haven't got a prayer. But boy, you got a prayer in Memphis. Feet ten feet off a beam. Walking in Memphis.
made shoes and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues, in the middle of the pouring rain. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues, in the middle of the pouring. Talk about Ann Pussy. <laughs> she so. does. Ann Pussy is a is an important researcher in sexuality, believe right. it or not. Isn't it weird how that happens? Like sometimes people have names yeah. that like feed into their career somehow, yeah. and you think like, did they grow up? Yeah. You know, like, you know. Just destined to be. And my name's Tyler, and I always wondered why I didn't become someone who would tile someone's bathroom floor. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm just, it's my namesake. Well, I like people with names like Loving Good. Yeah. You know, or Living Good. Like, uh -huh. what a cool name to have. Yeah. Like, hey, Chuck Living Good. Uh -huh. Chuck, I just want to hang with you, man. Totally. Because you're living good, I'll bet. Or Chuck, buy all your friends drinks. Right. He's a really good friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's his namesake. I mean, imagine as a clinical psychologist, a patient comes in, Chuck living good, and he's depressed. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah. Chuck, this really hurts me, man. Yeah. I don't know if I can help you. Oh, boy. You're Chuck living You're just not living this Anyway, I'm here with Tyler. What the hell's your last name? McNiven or McGiven or McSomething or other? It just it's like, doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. matter. It, nothing matters, it never did. And there's no destiny in that name. It's some, some Scottish tribal yeah, name. Yeah, and the last name's McNiven, Mac being son of, and Niven right. being someone who I never really got to hang out with because he died long before. David Niven. David Niven, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe he was the playwright who wrote my life, and now here we are. This is actually scripted. This is I've memorized the script. Everything that we're about to say, there's. This is all getting real matrixy. Yeah, yeah. Matrixy. Oh my gosh! Speaking of matrix, what? I just I'm, I'm, I've been formulating a screenplay for this movie concept, but it's a little early to, to say anything right now because you have a lot of listeners and. They're they'll creative still type steal your idea. Not, I mean, no, no offense to your listeners. I think they're wonderful people, but I think that this this idea makes me so excited. Just stay tuned, okay? Stay tuned. Stay tuned for the Matrix Tyler version. <laughs> exactly. You're stay gonna tuned. have to, but you're gonna have to go, like go transgender afterwards. Yeah, I know. Let's just say because that's what happens. Yeah. Just to give you a little a little sneak peek, it's basically the Matrix meets Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. I am so sorry about your cell phone. I'm gonna turn your cell phone off for you. <laughs> <laughs> my cell phone oh that's all right we don't mind cell phones we're not we're not uptight about that sort of thing it, it's just sort of like um you know the real-time uh rawness of it all we love that's the rawness my, really? my audience who you what who you already know and love yeah i love them they like the rawness what number of podcast is this like this number 180 or something. Well, I just posted 185 a few hours ago. Whoa, congrats. Yeah. Was that today? Yeah. yeah. You're just blasting these things out. I'm blasting them out. And, yeah. and they're all humans that you've interviewed. Uh, all humans, yeah. I, well, some of them it's just me, no interview. It's just me yammering. Uh -huh. 
but not a lot. Most yeah. are, are other humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, no animals as yet. I should think about that. Well, Coco the gorilla lives down in Woodside, not far from from here. Mm. It's a sign language gorilla. And, right. Um, it's hard to get sign language on a podcast, though. It is. So that's you need an interpreter. We gotta we gotta have Coco step it up a little. You yeah. Know? We'll get Coco one of those like those things that you know. They'll have the voice, like, uh, what's his name, the physicist, uh, Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if Coco the Gorilla and Stephen Hawking had the same voice? Actually, you could get an optical uh, recognition system that can right. look at Coco's hands and, and you know, or even just put on, like, some sort of power glove. Right. And... Exactly. And there you go. Or yeah. you can just have yeah, an optical recognition glasses that, that that just put the voice right in your ear. Back to the Matrix, man. Speaking. We're and back to the Matrix. Did you hear this thing on the news lately about the uh, the New York lawyers pushing for uh, to give chimpanzees human rights? Yeah. yeah. Well, they've been granted human rights in maybe. some countries, Spain, yeah. maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of chimpanzees in Spain, oh, so yeah. it's kind of academic. Yeah. But well, there are a lot of baboons. Uh, Friends of all. No, there are no baboons in Spain. What, what, are what are you talking about? Straits of Gibraltar. What are those things crawling on the I guess there are some baboons down on that rock. Yeah, that's true. I've never been there. Okay. But that's England. That's Wait, aren't you from Spain? Gibraltar? Are you going to Spain tonight? Yeah, tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am. But I've never been to Gibraltar. Oh, okay. Uh, and also, uh, Gibraltar is English. It's a British... Uh, oh, is it territory. Really? Oh, yeah, wow. it's kind of a sore point with Spain. Oh, yeah. you don't want to mention that. All right, let's. Um, but what the fuck are we talking about? There's the Matrix. There's your screenplay. Oh, I had a. I was just telling my friend Aaron about this. I had a um, uh, sort of a bizarre, uh, uncomfortable experience uh, today and yesterday. Because you know how, like, you were concerned. You don't want to put the idea out there. Someone might pick it up and run sure. with it. I want to run it. And as a writer, I, I before Sex at Dawn came out, I was terrified every time a book by Friends Duvall came out or somebody yeah. else I was like, oh, there it is. They're going to write it. You know, he actually published a book called Our Inner Ape, and I thought, oh, that's it. There it is. You know. And then I got the book, and no, it didn't didn't get into yeah. it. Um, but I was listening to a podcast with Tim Ferriss and Sebastian Junger, uh -huh. and Sebastian Junger has just published a book called Tribe, and man, he cut, it's like it's like he's been listening to me. Are you serious? No, but I, I don't think he has. I'm not. I'm not accusing him of that. But there's a convergence, a historical convergence, and he recognized some things that I've recognized and I've been meaning to get around to writing and mm. I haven't, or I've written them, but I haven't published them yet. Yeah. And so to see it come out is like, oh, yeah. it sort of puts a fire under you. you yeah, know? yeah. Well, yeah. If, if only you had more than a four hour work week, you can uh, do that. It's all that Tim Ferriss, he's making you lazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pushing for two hours. Yeah, there you go. Because I'm really Two hour work week. I'm ambitious. Give him a run for his money. Anybody could Sorry, do four Jim. hours. Yeah. A four minute work It's like week. an anti-race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, he does four hours and makes millions. I do two and don't. So it yeah, depends sure. how you, you measure. Know, because you're missing the, the, the two valuable hours. Those are the, the yeah. ones where you're all warmed up. Where you're all yeah. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. So why the hell am I talking to you? That's a that's a question. I'm just a guy. You're just some here guy in the living room wearing some socks, <laughs> having having a tall glass of water, and um, I think what it is is that. Um, I'm controversial, I'm thought-provoking, <laughs> I'm brilliant, a renegade thinker. That's um, true. I can tell you everything you really Those need things to are all true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you and I met at a party uh, a couple weeks ago where I was on Sam, what's his name? Sam, Sam, the host of the party. 
Uh, it's called Grow Big Always. <laughs> I'm putting you in a bad spot. Uh, I think it's Sam Lawrence. Oh, yeah, Sam Lawrence. Yes, of course. <laughs> a really nice guy, beautiful house, amazing party. And uh, so he, he had me on his podcast, and then he had this party with all these super interesting people. Yeah. And it, it made me feel like I'm living my life wrong. I have to say, I met you there. You're, you know, scintillating conversationalist, brilliant guy, interesting life, doing all this stuff. Then I talked to the guy next to you. He's fucking fascinating and, you know, got some startup with his amazing... Mar Did you smoke any of that weed, that, that vape that that guy was passing no, around? No, no. Holy shit, man. I mean, I, I've never had a panic attack in my life, but wow. I almost did that. Night. Oh, my God. Holy moly. But anyway, just everybody there was so interesting and so smart and, and doing all this fascinating shit, you know? And uh, I, I don't get that in Spain. You know, you, Spain is, I, I was talking about this earlier on a rant this morning. It's like Spain is comfortable. Yeah. And so there's no impetus toward innovation because people are happy. So why would you bother? But in America, the culture sucks so bad that everybody's like, gotta change it, gotta you know, make an app that'll make it better. And so there's stuff happening yeah, here. I wonder if it, I don't know if it's that the culture sucks as much as that the culture is, it really celebrates uh, innovation and wealth. And like one yeah. like rapid way to achieve wealth is this Silicon Valley gold rush that's happening where you can, you know, the words, start up like, yeah. wow you're, yeah. you're going for it you're digging for that gold well one of the, when i say it sucks what i what i'm referring to is its celebration of wealth you know that's one okay, of the okay, main gotcha, things gotcha. that i find dis disingenuous yeah. and uh, a friend of mine i've said this many times on the podcast a spanish friend of mine said to me years ago that in his opinion the best and the worst thing about america was that we have no sense of the ridiculous and so that's why we have the best artists, the best, like people go for it. Yeah. But we also have like, it's ridiculous that San Francisco's full of people living on the streets. But it is, you know, it's ridiculous. Mm. That should not be acceptable. Donald Trump running for president. Like people should have just said, oh, come on yeah. a long time ago. And he would have faded back to the obscurity from which he came. Actually, he wasn't really obscure. The New York fame, you know, yeah. the local yeah, fame. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't big out here. Now he's 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 now an international name. It's yeah. there's before people may or may not have heard of him, but now it's now we're learning about who he is. It's kind yeah. of it's like he. Uh, I read a thing from a campaign advisor of his who quit, who said that the whole thing started as a farce. Nobody, including Trump, thought it was actually going to be a campaign they just thought it was increased name recognition like the fucking wow. chicken restaurant guy who ran before remember him the 999 guy he the black dude who, oh ben carson yeah ben carson yeah. right and then there was another guy in the cycle before that who was obviously just it was just like increased name recognition yeah, yeah you yeah. get other people to pay for you to have national ad campaigns uh, it's a great yeah. gig right yeah, you sell your books nobody you thinks you're going to become president come on then suddenly it happens. There's a Peter Sellers movie about this. Do you ever see Being There? No. It's about this gardener, Chauncey Gardner, I think his name is. Uh -huh. And he's like, you know, got an IQ of about 60. And, but he says something that somebody interprets as brilliant. And then next thing you know, he's got all this media coverage and, and he oh, sort of wow. spins off yeah. and becomes this. It's like the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. Yeah. I was born a poor black child. Yes, yeah. I, know, I know you were. <laughs> oh, that's, mm. it, it, it is. It is. Uh, 
it's pretty wild. Whoever's writing this stuff, it's, it's amazing. Just, yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Stepping it up. So okay, uh, but but let's not get mired in Trump off Trump Trump off Trump. What would the word be? Trumpocracy. Trumpocracy, not Trumpology. Trumpology would be the study of Trumpocracy. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you are a fascinating fucking dude because I looked you up after we met at the party. You gave me your card, and the card says something about a restaurant, but whatever. And then I Googled your name, and then all this crazy shit popped up. You like walked the length of Japan? Uh -huh. Who walks the length of Japan? Uh, and were, and were yeah. you wearing those funny shoes with like two toes that the Japanese oh, wear? No, no, I didn't do that. Not till after the walk when I kind of indoctrinated myself into the culture. Uh, you went there as a high school student or something? I just finished college. I was working at my parents' restaurant. And I met this Japanese woman who I took quite a fancy to. Ah, there's always a woman. Yeah, and her father had walked from Alaska to Argentina. What? In the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, it was a seven-year-long, you know, three Guinness uh, World Record-breaking <laughs> walk. She was oh, conceived shit. on the walk, and I was like, wow. And I'd read his book. She was conceived on the... Don't conceived. just pass by that. So he's, he's walking He's from, walking... His wife was visiting... His Japanese wife was visiting him along the way. He oh, like a, British, a conjugal... Yeah. Oh, he's British. He's British. And so, wow. yeah, so she was conceived on the walk, and then, and then uh, I th after reading the book, I thought, I could, why don't I do oh, something Oh, and you wrote like a book. That? He wrote a book called the, the, the Longest Walk. I read the book, got inspired, thought, I could do a walk like that, why not? Maybe Pretty cool not way to long. impress her, too. Cool huh? it's like, yeah, Thank God her dad wasn't an astronaut. Yeah. That would have put you in a tough yeah, spot. Yeah, that would have been a lot more. Okay, uh, baby, I can yeah. walk. I can walk on the moon, on Japan. I mean, <laughs> I walk this. So I basically uh, yeah, saved up some cash and flew to Japan, um, made my way down to the south of the country and just started walking north and spent five months with a backpack, camping out and never knew really? where I was gonna sleep that night. You, did, you didn't speak Japanese? I did, so I took three months of Japanese at a community college before leaving. Uh -huh. Had a, a, just a very, very general foundation, new basic, uh, Two out of the three alphabets, the two easy ones. Um, I knew some, a few words, numbers, and when I got there, I just started gobbling Japanese up. I just was like, you know, multiple chopsticks in each hand, just throw those words down my throat, and I just would study while I walked and just re like look at signs and translate them and read the dictionary. Were there trails? Was it like a Pacific I was Crest mainly, Trail mainly kind on of roads. thing? Yeah, I just was making my own route and. Um, there was one time where I walked over the Japanese Alps, and that was off-road, but, uh, but for the most part, just on sidewalks, side of roads, through tunnels, over bridges. Now, you're a tall redhead, like me, uh -huh. uh, and I once, I, there was a time in my life when I thought I was going to Japan, and yeah. I sort of like read all these books and prepared myself. I even bought shoes to wear in job interviews. I had it all set up and then at the last minute I got this other job offer and yeah. it never went. So it's like a chapter of my life that yeah. didn't happen, which probably uh -huh. would have like changed the whole thing. I don't know. But one of the things I remember uh, when I was researching the place is that the Japanese can be very racist and redheads are kind of freaky for them. So here you are walking this tall white redhead, what do they say, gaijin? Is that gaijin, the, yeah. yes, foreigner. Uh, you must have gotten some interesting reactions yeah, from people. I would say that probably 99.99% of my interactions with Japanese people were extremely positive. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It, like, 
just phenomenally positive. Really? I Once I started learning Japanese, I really feel like when you learn a foreign language, each word you learn is like a key. Mm. And if you can learn a bunch of vocabulary, you end up with this, this like high school janitor ring of keys where it's just like, <laughs> I've got the keys to every single door. I can unlock this That's thing day great. and night. That's great. And the more I could speak, the more the entire country opened itself to me. Huh. Literally opened their doors. Right. I stayed in over 65 homes. And wow. it got to the point where if I asked someone where uh, where I could pitch my tent, they would say, no, don't pitch your tent, just stay at our house. Right. And so I... And these are would, small houses, generally. They're small houses. I would usually sleep in the room next to the grandparents' ashes, um, like wow. on the tatami mat. And uh, they would bring all their neighbors over and they would open up the ceremonial bottle of sake and it would just be this late night and then they wake up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. It's like, all right, everyone, time to go to work and school. And then they'd, they'd shoo me out and I'd be on the road again. I'd be exhausted. So two yeah. or three of these nights, <laughs> I couldn't take it. So eventually it was like, I can't stay in someone's home tonight. I need to get a good night's sleep. So I wouldn't ask people where to pitch I my tent. I need to find a yeah, dumpster to sleep in. Yeah, exactly. But it, I mean, so kind. People gave me uh, food. They would yeah. help me with my laundry. They even handed me, like, some people handed me, like, hundreds of dollars. Really? Just said, we really think what you're doing is amazing. Thank you for celebrating our culture. And uh, and and uh, also Japan has a, a history of walking through the country. Uh, uh, the Matsu Basho, the father of the haiku, would walk around Japan. And there are all these, like, uh, there are even still today, um, temple pilgrimages, especially in Shikoku, where they have the 88 temple walk. It's a 1,500 uh, kilometer walk. Where you walk from, you walk 88 temples uh, from one to the other 88 temples. It takes people either a lifetime where they do one or two temples at a time every mm. year, or some people do it all at once. The right. 88 temple walk, and so walking is kind of a spiritual thing ingrained within people in Japanese culture. So when they see a walker, they get it. Right. They understand it. It's not like, right. what are you doing? Like, right. ah, I see. Right. You're doing the big walk, and I met other walkers on my walk too, huh. mainly. Uh, Bicyclists. A lot of people bike because it makes more sense from a time economic. Yeah, point. but it doesn't have that that like ancient resonance, you know? Like oh. the Camino de Santiago, the uh -huh. song lines of Australia, yeah. you know? Yeah. The the Mecca, going to Mecca, the pilgrimages, yeah. the walking is there's and there's something about the rhythm of walking oh that's gosh. very meditative. Have you done this? Have you done a big walk? I've walked a lot. I mean yeah. I, I hitchhiked from Alaska to New York oh, wow. four times back and forth and you know I've Unbelievable. I mean I haven't done uh a walk, mm -hmm. you know, like a famous walk kind of thing. But I love walking and I've walked for days at a time for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I really love the, and I spent most of my twenties with backpacks, you know, and I just love the feeling of like, yeah. wherever I want to stop, uh -huh. I'll be all right. Cause yeah. I've got some nuts. I got my tent. I got uh -huh. my sleeping bag. Yeah. It can start raining, you know, yeah. whatever. I'll be warm. I'll yeah. be dry and I'll have some food. You like, know yeah. You know, what's interesting is is so much of that free feeling exists within the mind because the idea of going to Japan, even now, and walking for five months, it feels so free, oh, I'm free from it all. But what happened was when I was on the walk, I would look at all the cars passing me, especially at night when I was cold, hmm. and see these cars, I'd like, look at those warm little vessels, they're so free, they can go anywhere they right. want. They, and so it they really- they don't appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. They're Did not you feel it. that? Well, like the resentment or the, like, you don't know how good you have it. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, it was, walking was so interesting. I got to learn all the different, I would see spiders um, in different islands of Japan and really get to know the insects. And I could, 
because I was outdoors all day long, I really felt like I had a relationship with weather patterns that I never had right. before because I'm staring at the clouds moving through the sky and I'm right. feeling the outdoor temperature, whereas we spend a lot of time indoors yeah. and you don't really feel the weather change. All the, oh, it's cold all of a sudden. When you're outdoors, you really can get a grasp of that. And I had just read The Alchemist and was like, I could communicate with nature. I was like, hey, will you hold off rain just till I get over this mountain range and then dump all you want while I rest for a day? And it would like make these arrangements and then it would hold off for a little bit and then it would dump. I was like, yes, spot on. Remind me to tell you my Paulo Coelho story sometime when there are no microphones. Whoa, don't you worry, I will. <laughs> no microphones that you're aware of. What's that? Never mind. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Now he coughs. Yeah, now my, my listeners just, their speakers just blew out. Um, are Japanese cool about language or are they like, I mean, it sounds to me like they appreciate your faltering attempts at Japanese. They're not like the French who pretend they don't understand you. Oh, yeah. It's Is not that like, true? It's not like the French. A They're cool. Li a little Japanese, they'll, they'll brighten up a conversational amount of Japanese. They will turn around in circles and just squeal hmm. with glee. Really? And um, <laughs> there's almost no English in the countryside. That's one thing I thought was so interesting as I'd get to a home uh, and the kids who were studying English in school would speak a little bit of English to me. I'd be like, oh, your English is pretty good. And then they would show me essays that they've written and the essays were perfect because they didn't have anyone to converse with yeah. in these schools. They couldn't really converse very well, but they were so used to writing and they're really smart. And they mm. just, they would yeah. they have these incredible, hard. perfect essays. I taught English for a while, and I had a class, my first class. I, I was doing a TEFL course here in San Francisco, and the school had a, you know, a thing where they would do discount classes. You know, they, they would make money because they weren't paying the teachers because this yeah. was part of your certificate program, yeah. but they were charging the students, you know? So I had, um, my first classes were uh, a class of Japanese people and a class of Russians. And man, those are like the two extremes in terms of how people learn. Yeah. And it was really interesting because the, the Russians just didn't give a shit. You know, they were like, we're here. We got to learn English. Like, let's go. And yeah, I fuck up. Who cares? We'll go. Well, you know, teach me, teach me. And let's go. Would they, it, did they want to learn? Did oh, they... everybody wanted to learn. Okay. I mean, the, the Japanese were mo mainly students who had flown over for a month immersion yeah. kind of thing. Right. And the Russians were immigrants. And uh, so the Russians were living here, so they were really hungry. Yeah. Um, whereas the Japanese, they were hungry because they're serious people, and you know they paid money and all that. But they were so afraid of making mistakes that it was impossible to get them to engage, because they were afraid other people, if they, you know, they'd lose face if they made a mistake, and the other students would, you know. And so it was, it was really interesting. I had to get them drunk. That was the oh. only way to get the Japanese to, to have fun. It did, yeah. And then there was their perfect English, like the Queen's English. <laughs> the Queen's, exactly. So, uh, okay, so you're out walking. I'm just trying to imagine this experience. You're how old? 20? I was 24. 24. And I had a, a, a big red beard and this long, crazy hair and <clears throat> would just... Uh, I, I didn't listen to any headphones, didn't have a cell phone. And did they even have cell phones? Who knows? Um, and I would just really... I really intended on opening myself up to the experience. So I would wave at people and say hello and... Um, and then by the end, I felt like my Japanese was to the point where I could communicate with with anybody, about, especially about the walk. I got really good at right. talking about the walk. And then I didn't like Japanese food before going. And by the end, it was my favorite 
cuisine mm. to this day it still is oh really well hunger hunger is the best spice yeah and um walking all day walk carrying a 45 pound backpack for anywhere from you know 16 17 miles to i think my biggest day was 39 miles i didn't do that i only did that one time and the average day was about 20 22 miles and there i think of japan as being very densely populated but there are stretches that are very rural right a lot, a lot of rice farming almost the entire time in rural areas huh. Tokyo is one of the highest concentrations in the greater Tokyo area of people in the world, and that took five days to walk through. Hmm. Five. Um, you didn't take any metros or buses. You didn't no, like. No, I mean there were a couple times where I was like, oh, I want to go see something near here, and I would basically put a pile of rocks like together or yeah. like a little like X on a vending machine with a pen and then I would leave and I'd come back and I'd have to touch that exact same spot. <laughs> really? So this is kind of like, OCD. Or yeah, I was right? very religious about wanting to yeah. make every single step to the end. Interesting. Yeah, even yeah. to one point where I, uh, I ran across a bridge that I wasn't allowed to run across and I, once I got to the other side there were police officers waiting for me and so they, they caught me and, they, and so I quickly like memorized where I was and then they took me to the other side the bridge and they were pulling into the police station. I was like, how am I going to get out of this one? Like, I don't have a place. Could to you stay. explain to them what you were doing? I guess you've explained I, that yeah, a million I, times. I could tell right? them what I was doing and they kind of got it, but, and I wasn't sure if they were bringing me back to the police station to yell at me or just to show me to the other <laughs> people. Like, look what we caught. <laughs> we, we caught a good one here, boys. Yeah. Uh, and as we we're pulling the police car <laughs> into the station, they, they, they kind of hit the rim of the tire against the curb. And they parked the car, and the, the police officer who was driving got out and was looking, and there was a small scratch on the rim, on the the, the wheel rim, and um, it just it had everybody up in arms, and they all gathered around, and it took the attention off of me, and I was like, yes, this is great. And the person that I had stayed with the night before, were you in handcuffs their, or anything? No, no, no. I, I just was standing there, and the person who I'd stayed with the night before had given me their phone number, and I called him up, and he came and vouched for me and said, hey, he stayed at our house last night, he's cool, he showed us all these home videos he did back home. Right. And the further I went, the more I got more press as we went along and it actually uh, became a very valuable tool right. to kind of validate my experience. Uh, okay. By the time I got to Tokyo, it was two and a half months into the walk and you can only, as a tourist, get a three-month visa. A lot of people say, like, how did you do the walk and not leave the country? Because you usually have to fly to Korea and then fly back mm. to renew the three-month visa. But the people in the in the visa processing office, they read all the articles and they just were like, oh, this is awesome. We totally stamp three more months. Nice. Uh, so how long was the whole thing? It was five months. Five months. And did you like actually start with one foot in the water in the south and then yeah. dip your foot in the water yeah, in the yeah. north? Touch the water in the south and then I actually walked into the water in the north. That's amazing. Yeah, I made a movie about it. You can watch. Yeah. What's it called? It's called Kintaro Walks Japan. Kintaro? Kintaro. Which Kintaro is K-I-N-T-A-R-O. Uh, and that's your Japanese, Japanese name? name. A, a Japanese clown on my first trip to Japan called me Kintaro, which means golden boy, because I have like this strawberry blonde hair. Right, right. And golden boy is a, is a, like a folklore of the Kintaro is, there's a folklore about this kid that is raised in the woods who uh, learns to speak to animals. Ah. And he... Um, sort of a dances with wolves kind totally, of thing. Totally, totally. Yeah, and yeah. there's a scene in the movie where I'm looking at a crow and the crow goes, Aha! And I say, Ohio, which means good morning in Japanese. <laughs> Ohio? And so, Ohio, really? Ohio. And so we're speaking back and forth. I'm like, yes, the legend of Kintaro is true. 
<laughs> All right, so did you make the movie while you were doing it, or yeah. did you do this in yeah, retroactively? I, fi I filmed uh, while I was walking, oh. and I didn't plan on making a documentary, Right. but when I got home, I just was really excited about filming my experience and sharing it with friends and family when I got right. home. And then right. I just basically got obsessed with editing. What's funny is I didn't get hurt while walking the length of Japan, but for editing, I edited the film for over the course of seven months and pulled my back sitting on a chair for so long. I'm like, how is that where I walk Japan, don't get hurt at all. Exactly. Then I edit a film and I pull my back. Hey, let me tell you, sitting is hard work. Sitting is hard work. That's what I do for a living, yeah. man. That's why I can only do two hours a week. You yeah. know, come on. Totally. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you did the you did the video. Now this is what two thousand four. Yeah. So the movie came out in two thousand five. I, uh -huh. I uh, did, did did it won some awards and festivals, and I got it on American Airlines flights. To Japan, oh, really? Which is kind of fun because well, it was great. very much like a home done. You know, Blair Witch. And you edited it yourself. Yeah, I did it all thing myself. Wow. And uh, that's great. Worked with composers on the music. Just yeah. I don't, okay. I don't now, know. but but we we've totally buried the lead here. I, I've never been sure exactly what that meant, but I think this applies. Did you ever like hook up with that woman? Or oh what? yeah 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 yeah. We we were together for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It was High great. five. High five. Nice. <laughs> for two thousand miles of walking, you better. <laughs> that's what I'm. Shoot. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, dude, you like really yeah. laid it out there. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you got that. That's yeah. Good. We had a great that's four good. years together, and then oh, just that's beautiful. Moved on. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I love those sorts of relationships. Yeah. Do you know, you know who Margaret Mead was? Uh -uh. She was a very famous anthropologist in the 20s. She wrote a book called Coming of Age in Samoa, okay. which was uh. which was so revolutionary when she wrote it because basically she was saying like, oh, here in Samoa, you know, girls have sex and they like it and there's no like shame around it and you know, then they marry whomever they want to marry, but in the uh. meantime they fuck a bunch of guys and huh. it's like and you know everybody was incensed and you know attacking her and you know it's, it's still there's still controversy a guy is it true i mean is that yeah yeah I, yeah it's true and and you know sex at dawn uh which you haven't read but will soon because I'm you now have a complimentary copy here right in front of you so excited it's like new and smells good oh yeah leave but, it in the bathroom it's I great will. bathroom yeah. reading um murder me she uh anyway she had been married to like uh three different she was married three times. Yeah. And, uh, but like to, to fascinating people, really yeah. interesting guys. One of them was, um, oh shit, I can't remember his name right now, but like a really famous, important physicist, philosopher in the 60s, you know. Huh. Um, you would know his name. I'll think of it in a few minutes and say it. Um, but anyway, she was in a news conference and they said to her, well, uh, Dr. Mead, you've been married, you know, you've had three failed marriages, so who are you really to be talking about relationships? And she said, I always love when people question the premise. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's, that's such an underrated skill. Yeah. She said, excuse me, I've been married to three fascinating men, all of whom remain my closest friends to this day. None of those marriages was a failure. Fuck you. Yeah. Three failed marriages. You know, relationships yeah. begin, they end, they change. There's no failure in that. The only yeah. failure is if you're not true to yourself and you're yeah. an asshole to somebody, yeah. you know? But, you know, I, so I like the way you said that. You know, you had three, four beautiful years and you moved on, different things happened. That's the yeah. way it goes. That's great. It's like walking, you know? You can't stay. You're walking, you're moving. Yeah. You yeah. can't stay where you were. Yeah. Gregory Bateson. That's Gregory the name Bateson. of okay, one yeah. of her, her oh. husbands, yeah. Oh. I told you I'd think of it. I, I, you know, I was, I was wondering if you were, and you're a man of your word. I'm a man of my word. I keep, yeah. 
Um, now I found that with memory, uh, yeah, I don't believe that that we lose memory as we get older. I think we just have more shit to remember. Yeah. So it gets it's harder to like retrieve things. Yeah. So. I learned a, a mnemonic trick years ago when I was yeah. a teenager that when you can't remember something, you just close your eyes and you visualize a little man in a library uh -huh. and he goes back into the stacks yeah. and then just let it go and then move on with your life talk, the conversation continues and that little man will come back with that information. Just let him go. Really? Don't stress. So when you forget something. You're like, oh, what's his name? Yeah, just imagine, imagine the little man, and going he's going to go look it up, and meanwhile, you don't need to worry about it. And it works. He comes back with it. It's like it's like erectile dysfunction. The worst thing you can do is, yeah. like, worry about it. Uh-huh. You know? It Same thing with worse. memory. Yeah. It's like, oh, what's his name? Oh, I hate that. Oh, I'm getting old. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is a senior moment. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, you've, you've ruined it. Just re imagine the little librarian yeah. and move on. Cool. Can I do like an Ewok library? You can, or like I, I've mine sort of migrated to like a really hot woman with big glasses, and nice. you know she has her hair tied back, but you can tell when she lets it down, it's a whole different thing. Fantastic. Yeah, it's sort of a porn library. I am looking forward to forgetting something. <laughs> I just hope I don't forget that pneumonia. Everything. Pneumonia. Exactly. Then you're fucked. No, no, no. What to do? Well, yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. you now. So you were in, inspired to do this by this Japanese woman. I mean, if you had met an Italian woman, do you think you would have walked the length of Italy? By the way, did you meet her father? Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he alive? You knew him? Yeah, yeah, I met him first. Yeah. Did he live in Japan? He does, yeah. He, he does. Or he did, yeah. Yeah, at the time. So where did he meet his wife? That's an amazing story. So he was a merchant marine starting at the age of 16. Right. And he started going around the world in these in these merchant ships and then uh, was in Kobe, Japan, I believe it was Kobe, and went out, rented a car and went out for a drive. And it was, there was a storm coming in and so he was driving, just kind of exploring the countryside, it started raining. And he comes across a woman who had run away from her parents because her parents were being too strict and she was like, uh, it's raining, I need to hitchhike. So she hitchhiked and he picked her up. And they ended up uh, going into a hotel and just like staying up all night. He didn't, they didn't speak a word of each other's language and they just like had a dictionary. And so they were, they just stayed up all night having a conversation and he promised that he'd visit her again next time he was in, next time he was in the port. And so um, uh, his next time he made sure to call her up and then basically took her back to England with him and said, hey, let's let's do this walk from Argentina to Alaska. Oh, together. Something, he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it with her. Oh. Because there was still a language barrier at the time, when she got down to Tierra del Fuego, she still didn't understand that he wanted to walk every step of it. <laughs> she thought they were going to be taking buses. <laughs> and so after like a hundred miles, after the first night, this crazy storm and the tents blowing everywhere in Tierra del Fuego, she's like, I really, this is not, I thought we were going to just you know, touch the water and take buses all the right. and do some walking and hikes every now and again. Right. So she spent that's, most of her time in Japan and visited for periods of time oh, along the way. That's so funny, yeah, man. Yeah, crazy. So, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, what? Yeah. What do you mean we're walking to Alaska? We've been Alaska? planning it for like almost a year, but he just never communicated that point. Oh. He wanted to walk every single step. <laughs> yeah, when uh, he got to when he got to yeah, uh, Texas, really he took a right, 
And instead of going up towards Alaska, he went over to the eastern seaboard. He visited Jimmy Carter. In in Georgia? Or Washington? Plains, Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. He visited Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter, he walked in New York City, and then he turned left and walked across the north of the the northern United States. Holy shit. Yeah. Up to Alaska? Yeah. I don't think he ever wanted it to end. Did he get up to to Nome or whatever? Uh, Barrow. Barrow, Point Barrow. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's that's at the top. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, I interviewed a guy in this podcast who um, bought uh, a Volkswagen Combi van in, yeah. in Argentina and drove it uh, oh, all yeah. the way up. And he stopped in Portland, which is when I interviewed him, and he was on his way to Alaska. And he ran into all these problems. Forget what the problem was, but he ended up leaving the van in Haines and then... oh. For the winter, I think of the you know he had to like change the engine like five times or something. There are always these problems. Yeah. And then he went to England, and then the U.S. went and let him back in. And he was so it's sort of the situation you're in where he was yeah. like, okay, look at all this media. Like, yeah. I, look what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I'm not just a guy like you know wanting to come twice in a year or whatever yeah, the fuck yeah. it was. You know. And so finally, you know, he had like a a member of parliament who appealed to the immigration service and all this shit, so they'd yeah. let him back in, so he could then go up through Yukon and into Alaska, and he's on his way now, actually. You know, spring thaw. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, cool. His, his whole thing was to do, do it in the van and pick people up along the way. Yeah. So it would always be a changing cast of characters, uh-huh. you know? Oh, that's so, cool. Is yeah. he doing a blog or a podcast? Yeah, he's got a website. Um, Shit, what's it called? Uh, the dog. He has this little dog that they got in Alaska or in uh, Nicaragua, uh, which is named Alaska. Oh, the website's called Asta Alaska, oh, which okay. is until, until Alaska, Alaska in Spanish. Yeah, uh, yeah, really cool guy. He had before he did that. He had been in. You know, it's one of these things like you do a podcast with somebody, you think you know what you're going to talk about, but then other shit comes up. Uh He had worked in a tiger sanctuary in Thailand, and his job was to um, sort of help the the young tigers become used to people. What a cool job. You know, like get in there and play with those tiger cubs and try not to get killed, you know, because they're some of them. I mean, they're little, but they'll fuck you up, you know. So if you're really good, you can train them to be... uh, uh, sugar-coated cereal mascot. <laughs> There's a tiger That's in your tank. Level, yeah. Was that no? That was gas. That, that was, was like Tony SO. the Tiger. Uh, what? what? I'm talking Tony the Tiger, Frosted Flakes. Which they're great. They're great. But not great for your teeth <laughs> or your liver. They're okay. terrible for your liver. They'll condition you at a young age to always want sugar in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, how evil is that? It's, really it's so evil. evil. It's, it's you know, there's a whole <laughs> cast of these like crazy villainous, like sh- sugar cereal mascots. Count Chocula. Chocolate. Count Chocula. Yeah. Who was the other one? The the captain. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. That and is pure fucking with crunch berries. Sugar, yeah. They're not berries. They, they're they're, not, they're they're worse because no, they're, they're they're food coloring sugar. sugar crystals. Yeah. And there's a there's a talking toucan. And then they always put on the on the box, yeah, the toucan. Toucan That's, Sam. Yeah. yeah. And what is he selling? He was selling Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Fruit exactly. Loops. And no fruit. There's no fruit. There's, there's zero fruit in a Fruit Loop. Oh that yeah, shit's and so there, evil, man. There was, a, there was a leprechaun selling. Yeah, Lucky Charms, Charms. which by they're the way, magically delicious. By the way, for a hundred dollar bill. 
or soon to be for one Tubman, you can acquire yourself a 25 pound bag of Lucky Charms marshmallows. Straight up marshmallows. Just the marshmallows. Just the marshmallows. Which and is I the think best for part. double the price, you can get a 50 pound bag too, which really? is like the size of a Where bean bag. Costco? Someone was telling me they bought one on, I think it was Amazon, somewhere online. You can buy all the marshmallows. What a great party favor. <laughs> Just, I like the idea of a beanbag chair. What if you filled your it's friends, full fill, of, fill of, of the And then if there's like a you know post-apocalyptic nightmare, it's like, oh, yeah. it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. We'll eat the beanbag we'll chair. Bean We're chair. good for months. That's a great idea. We're as long as we have some skim company. milk. Yeah. Yeah. Furniture you can eat. Edible furniture. I think there's a market. I think actually my dog thinks our couch is edible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is for him. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking yeah. at the lucky charms like, oh, I was proud of the lucky charms. Oh, magically delicious. They gotta be in here somewhere. And it kills me, like they always put on the, the front of those those horrible boxes of sugar cereal, like fortified with 14 different, you know, vitamins and yeah. iron, like like you're eating fucking health food, Yeah. you know? Uh-huh. <sighs> Don't get me started. Don't get me I started, like it. Tyler. I like when you're fiery. Uh, it's just, it's so evil. It's so evil, man. It it's is, like, it it's is. like, what's the, the big fucking Swiss company? I don't know if it's Bear, Nestle, Nestle. Uh-huh. They did this thing, I think it was in the 80s. Um, they uh, had all this um, uh, expired baby formula that, that, that hadn't been sold in the U.S., probably because there was like a campaign for breastfeeding was uh-huh. good, you know. And uh, so they had this huge surplus of a formula for babies. So they hired a bunch of people, sent them into Africa, gave them doctor's smocks, like oh these boy. white smocks and stethoscopes, and they would go to villages all over Africa and tell women that if they really love their babies, they would buy this formula. Oh no. Um, you know, and breastfeeding's not good for babies. You really want this formula, and they're white, and they're wearing the doctor thing, and they're not fucking doctors, right? They're, they're nobody. And all these women bought this formula and mixed it with the dirty fucking water that they had when their breasts were full of the best thing possible for their babies, but they wanted to sell their fucking formula and, you know, hundreds of, or thousands or tens of thousands of babies died because of this. It was this huge scandal in the 80s. Nestle, yeah. It's just like capitalism doesn't give a fuck about babies or anybody else. It's incredible. I, I there needs to be I accountability. Sound like Frederick uh, Engels here. Don't it's, I? Well, let's just hope that through the evil emerges heroes and people they can set it straight. And I think that's you know to a certain extent <laughs> yeah. happening. And I, I yeah. believe in humanity. I think we're, you know, we're we're clumsy and we trip a lot. And I hope we just don't burn the whole place down, um, because yeah. it, that's what it's kind of looking like right now. But we'll it see. is. We'll see. We'll see. I believe in in humans. I'm I'm. I admire individual humans greatly, uh-huh. but I think that we made, you know, we, I, I was going to say we made a mistake, but we didn't make a mistake. We uh, sort of stumbled into a disastrous zone with the advent of agriculture. When you read this book, you'll see what I'm talking about. It, 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 do you know about locusts and grasshoppers? I've probably explained this on the podcast before, yeah. but but my audience is used to listening to me repeat myself. Right, it's one right. of the charms of the podcast, yeah. really. Uh, so all locusts begin life as grasshoppers. 
And what happens is grasshoppers are individual. They, they live individually. They're sort of spread out uh -huh. and they just eat and they're peaceful and yeah. they chill out and then they mate and they're cool, right? Yeah. So in North Africa, there's this one species that's a great example. North Africa, the rains come. So there's lots of green stuff everywhere. The grasshopper population increases accordingly because uh -huh. there's more food, right? Then the rains stop and the green areas start to contract and get smaller and smaller. So the grasshoppers move with the green stuff. And then you find like the grasshopper, the population density is, is getting higher getting and higher. higher yeah. And it reaches a certain triggering point where dormant genes in the grasshoppers are activated wow. by the density, the, the, the proximity sort of, like, of other grasshoppers. Yeah, social yeah. stress. And so it, it triggers these dormant genes that change the morphology of the animal. I'm not talking about evolving over generations. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about one grasshopper is hanging out, and next Almost thing you know, his, his, yeah, metamorphosis, literally, his le back legs get longer, wow. short legs get, front legs get shorter, coloring changes, the shape of his head changes, his abdomen changes, what? and his behavior changes from a peaceful, chilled-out grasshopper to a, a cannibalistic locust. And so then they start swarming, and the swarms are happening because they're trying to eat each other. What? So you're like flying like shit because the one behind you is like nipping at your ass, and then you're like, well, what the fuck, I'll nip at yeah, this yeah, guy's yeah. ass. It's consumerism, right? Wow. It's a competitive, consumerist because, mentality. Wow. So we, we are essentially swarming. And so, you know, wow. when we talk about individuals, I think of grasshoppers. Yeah. But we talk about what's happening to the planet, I'm, I'm thinking of locusts. Yeah. It's the same animal. It's the same DNA. It's just a different social what context. A very interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, just, I just hope Sebastian Junger doesn't write a book about it. Oh, my God. Before I get around to I it. I know he wants He's to. fast. He's listening. He's fast, He's listening. man. He's probably He's, typing this right He's now. He's a war correspondent. You know, hey, Sebastian, if you're out there, like, we can work together. You know, I'll give you ideas, and you write the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I need. I need yeah. graduate students. Yeah. How did you do this one? That was my Ph.D. thesis, actually. And That's then it. I, you know, just wrote a book about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know how I did it, honestly. It was like 10 years ago I wrote that book. And now that I'm writing, you know, working on other books, I, I look back and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? Yeah. Jeez. I don't remember it being this hard. Yeah, you were but just a grasshopper back then. You I was. A, I, that's right. I was a grasshopper, and also my life was much simpler. Yeah. You know, I didn't like. I didn't have a podcast. Uh -huh. I didn't like meet interesting people every yeah, day. Yeah. I didn't like do TV shows and yeah. get hundreds of emails. Yeah. I mean, I would get like an email a day, and I'd be like, shit. Just one, <laughs> mom. You know, mom. Yeah. Send me. I loved getting yeah. emails. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, oh it's shit, terrifying. man. It's terrifying. I gotta hire an assistant. That's the thing. You do. Yeah. Or what if you just stopped email? Yeah, but but the thing is, I need to feed the social media yeah, monster. Yeah, you're right. You know. Yeah. Because because people would just Facebook you then. I, I don't. I hate Facebook. That's to me. That's the worst of them. Instagram, yeah. Twitter, you can get in and get out. Yeah. But Facebook, it just sucks you in. Uh -huh. Next thing you know, it's kitty videos, and and you know, it's just uh, I can't do it. Oh yeah, yeah. I love those cat videos. Um, <laughs> All right. So what have you been doing? So you made the movie. It was very well accepted. It was uh, so now you're a freaking filmmaker. Yeah, I thought, oh, this is great. I should I should do this again. But before I knew it, I got. Uh, 
cast in a reality show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The Great the Race amazing, or something? The Amazing Race. The amazing race. Uh -huh. Now, what is that? Because I am I know I look and seem American, but I'm a foreigner. Gosh. So I don't know all these Unbelievable. things. Unbelievable. Do you know who Joe Rogan is? Uh, Seth Rogen's no, no, no. He's all right. You don't know either. So, so the story won't be funny because the whole story is about how I didn't know who he is. Uh -huh. But if you had been like, "Fuck yeah, everyone knows who Joe Rogan is," then I would tell you the story. But you saying you don't know who he is I'm sort of just yeah. lets the air right out of it. Oh darn! I'm sorry about that. That's all right. We should have rehearsed this, really. Oh, Joe Rogan! I love Joe yeah, Rogan. Music great? is amazing. Yeah. He's <laughs> the best basketball player. I saw this thing yeah. where people, uh, I don't remember what show yeah. it was. It might have been Vice, but I, I don't know. But it was, anyway, this dude hired two big black men to be his bodyguards. Just some guy, right? And he walked through Times Square with I, these I guys. Saw that video. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah. What was it? Was that on YouTube or what? Somewhere. Yeah. And he, he was completely not famous. Yeah. He was signing autographs, and a crowd him. gathered. And then they interviewed people on the periphery. Like, oh, yeah, like, I loved him in that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I like that one guy says like, "Well, I liked his early stuff, yeah. but he kind of sold out, you know." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you are so full of shit, man. Oh, it's so funny. Anyway, what the fuck are we talking about? Uh, well, I'm gonna send the little man yeah, back sure. there. Well, hey, little man, let me so know what we were talking amazing about. Oh, a, the Amazing it's Race is a show uh, about teams of two that race around the world, and the last one in the finish line, uh, the last team wins a bunch of money, and along the way, the last one, the, or, or the, sorry, the first team. I guess the, <laughs> I, guess the, I say the last team because the, you, you whittle away at the that, team. That's kind of like yeah, that Japanese like woman, like, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be uh, the last team. I didn't get it. Oh. If you watch the show backwards, it's the last team. <laughs> no, I okay. Still, so it's know. how many teams? Just two teams? Uh, there's 11 teams of two. Oh, oh 11, 11 teams, teams of two. two. So I did it with, I did the show with a friend of mine. Is it all men, women, uh, mixed, mixed it's, doubles? It's mixed. It's like father, daughter. Um, oh, it's couples. It's sick. friends. That's it's brother, sick. sister. It's, oh, it's whatever you it's want. Very yeah, incestuous. Yeah, yeah. You would love it. You know, yeah. you could be uh, inspired in your next book. <laughs> Um, so, so you're going around the world. Going around the world. Yeah, each various pit stop, there are different legs of the journey. Each leg of the journey represents an episode of the show. Mm. At the end of the show, or at the end of a leg, a team gets their last, they get kicked off the show. So you whittle away, and then they're finally at the end. There are three teams, and you do various tasks: you bungee jump or skydive, or in our case, we ate a bowl of crickets in Thailand. You you hunt through fields for various things. You uh, physical challenges, mental so challenges. So you should know Joe Rogan. He was the host of Fear Factor. Oh, you think I would know? It's him. right up your fucking alley. Oh, eating bowls of crickets I don't and shit. I, I watch TV if I'm on, on, it. on it. Yeah, it's one of my rules. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's the only way I watch porn. <laughs> this podcast is over. Get me a computer, quick. <laughs> Scroll to page three, Google search, Christopher Ryan. Uh, Wait a second. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't know. You don't know this. I won a porn award this year. I'm an award-winning, the, the Porn Oscar, the AVN Award, I, I won this year for best non-sex performance. Did you really? I did. What was the role? Uh, I played myself, it was a cameo. It was a, it was a movie, it was a sort of a crossover, like mainstream movie with real sex. Uh -huh. um, and the idea was that there's the, the sort of, this couple, are opening their relationship. Um, the couple played by uh, India Summer and Ryan Driller. 
What's the name of the movie? Uh, Marriage 2.0. Okay. And so they're opening up their relationship and the woman is a documentary filmmaker and they're going through issues with jealousy and whatever. Uh And so she interviews some thinkers, relationship kind of thinkers, you know, at the moment who have written books or whatever. And so she interviews me and and my wife, the co-author of this book, and then... Uh, she sort of breaks down in the middle of the interview because she's yeah. so upset and then she runs off and then I go into the kitchen and she and I have a heart-to-heart conversation and apparently the judges thought that that, that deserved the uh, AVN award for best non-sex performance. So that's it. It's, it's on my resume. My resume is a strange document, as uh-huh. is yours, I'm sure. Yeah, but enough so, about it, me. It, 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 can I see your performance online? Uh, you can, but I think you have to pay for it. That's but great. I mean, it's and it, it's like twenty bucks to stream it. I don't understand okay. the economics. Right. Um, but you can see the trailer. I appear in the trailer. Oh, great! Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Marriage Two Point Marriage Two Point Okay, yeah, I'll try, I'll try. Uh, But the the Amazing Race. So this was on like uh, Comedy Central. So, and uh, FX. <laughs> it should have been. It was on CBS. CBS. Oh, that's yeah. mainstream. It's time that's show, fucking right? network, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's on right after it's sixty funny, minutes. It was, actually, it was the number one show in Canada. Really? So I got to feel like I got to I got to experience what it was like <clears> to be <throat> like a famous TV person for a little bit. When I went to Canada, I, I got flown up to Canada for a few like various appearances. But one of them was during the height of like right, you know, like before the show had finished airing. And it's like a whole season. It's a whole season. Like ten episodes. Ten episodes. Right. Yeah, and we got there. We were like throwing the opening pitch at a baseball game, and wow. I was like, Oh, you won, right? Your team. Yeah, won? yeah, we won. Oh yeah, that's Fuck right. Fuck yeah! Cheers, cheers. Right. Yeah. Well and, done. Oh yeah, I'll take that. Mm. Cut to house. Yeah. Cut to fancy clothes. Oh really? You got Cut paid? Clean shape. You got paid for? Yeah, it? we split a million bucks. What? I know it was great. Oh shit! And I was in my it was in my mid twenties, and it was so I got a check for half a million dollars, and then I cut it in half again, essentially for the government. And and I'm like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Like buy a bunch of glow sticks for my friends at Burning Man, and get a motorized skateboard, and <laughs> blow okay, it. Now what? Now what? I get into some coke. Yeah. And let's Amazon. go to a casino. Com. Yeah. What? Anything? I can buy anything I want? You can buy a hundred of anything I just remember it was like, I would wake up in the morning to the U- UPS man, essentially. It was like, really? bing bong! Yeah. Oh, okay. It's and Santa Claus. Like, what did I order? Okay. And it just opened it up. I'm like, oh, 50-pound bag of marshmallows. <laughs> this is great. That's how you knew about the marshmallows. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, yeah you didn't blow it all, did you? No, I didn't blow it. I mean, I put it into this house oh, and into good. Okay. some of the other investments. And I actually, I invested in my next film, next two films. Oh. One was called Wrestling Mongolia, where I went to Mongolia and uh, a lot of people, that wrestling is a huge sport in Mongolia. Right. So I wanted to explore Mongolian culture through wrestling Mongolians. And I was going to do a documentary, but I made it a, a scripted uh-huh. feature film that I started about uh, wrestling 100 Mongolians. Uh-huh. And like went on this amazing tour through the Mongolian countryside wrestling Mongolians. And I actually wrestled real Mongolians. They're very strong people. Yeah. They're riding horses from on their four. They've got yeah. these tree trunks for legs. Yeah. Just so powerful. And it's a 
it's a gorgeous place. I mean, the population at the time when I was there, three million people in a country the size of Texas, the most right. sparsely populated country. Most of them are in Ulaanbaatar. Most of them, yeah. So, hey. especially in the. Are you so, impressed? Then I am uh, Ulaanbaatar. I, I like the way you pronounce everything. That? Everything about it. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, but I know the fucking words. That's you know? pretty awesome. I mean, that's that's, that's worth dope. something. I, I just figure you've been everywhere except for Gibraltar. I've never been to Mongolia, but I know about it. I have, my best friend went through Mongolia actually, both the Chinese part and then the independent, you know, Soviet part. Oh, cool. When it was Soviet, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there's a great uh, documentary called um, uh, Genghis Blues. Yeah. You know about that? Yeah. The Mongolian throat uh -huh. singing and yeah. the blues dude uh -huh. from San Francisco? Uh huh. Yeah. The blind. Yeah, blind yeah. Of, yeah. Pena, Paul Pena. Uh -huh. Paul yeah. Pena, yeah. 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 Highly recommended, ladies and gentlemen. Look it up online. I'm sure it's, it's everywhere on YouTube. It's all over the place. Genghis Blues. Genghis Blues, yeah. yeah. So then after Mongolia, I tried to do I tried to do a movie in Iran where I was going to run from the north to the south of Iran, make a film called Iran, Iran. <laughs> and uh, I started the run. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, I got to interrupt you. So did the title come first or yes. the idea? Oh, yeah, the title. The title. Sure. I was listening to the news and George Bush is like, we got to get Iran. Iran. I was like, Iran. I ran, I ran. Oh, my God. And so I, I, one of my best friends is Iranian-American. So I called him up. I was like, Hey, you just got an Iranian passport. And I was like, yeah. we're going to Iran. We got to run the length of the country. He's like, awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. So like two months later, we're in Iran. And we're like, okay, let's start running. We ran, but I had gotten a visa to be an American tourist, which right. means that I've got to go to the, the very specific spots. And, so and we, no place else. Yeah, yeah, and they were very upset that I broke that contract. Oh. Even though I worked with an athletic organization within Iran to break that, that visa, and actually got Iranian government support. They were paying for, they started paying for my hotels, my food, they had like provincial escorts with us, and like, you know, like siren police cars when we were running into cities, and we ran 100 miles to Iran. It was a, it was a like leading Iranian news story that week. This is these guys, these Americans running through Iran. It was incredible. Like so you started in the north. Started in the north. Mountains, right? Uh, there are some mountains in the north. Yeah, oh. we started at the um, the Caspian Sea, oh, right okay. on the coast there, right. and then ran uh, in Bandar Anzali for mm -hmm. you uh, people familiar with Iran, and uh, ran through Rasht and um, and then to Khazvin, and that's where we kind of got stopped. There was a complication. They actually. Uh, do any Iranian people listen to your podcast? Uh, all, they're only women. Like, how about Iranian? Only like Iranian hot government. Iranian there Jews was, there, in LA. Yeah, there was a complication with why I was there. It was essentially they wanted me to promote nuclear energy as the crux of why I was running, and I refused to do it. And they said, oh, well, then you can just go home. Nuclear energy? Yeah, they actually made Like uh, fueled signs by nerd It said nuclear energy is Iran's obvious right. And so, uh, you know, there's this big so contention. You into that. Not, yeah. right, right. So I got pulled into a political issue, and I wasn't there. I was really, wasn't there for a specific political issue. I was really there to... Um, uh, to make fun to of the make, name of the country. To make friends, yeah. I make fun of the name of the country. <laughs> I, well, it's funny because we pronounce, a lot of people pronounce it Iran, yeah. when it's pronounced, which sounds like Iran, but then if you pronounce it right, it, like Iran, uh, it sounds like we ran. We ran, we ran. So uh -huh. it's like we actually it represent the, the name, the title represents our misunderstanding of the country. Right, but right. then when you say it right, by the end, it's right. like, it sounds like we ran. Yeah. So, so the whole point is to uh, I don't know. That's kind of wild. Okay, so then the next the next film is about eating lots of turkey and turkey is gobbling turkey. Gobbling. I bought the domain gobbling turkey, gobbling turkey. And then I wanted to do legs on Lebanon, <laughs> walking the length of Lebanon, and 
There was like a yeah. segueing Uruguay. <laughs> Segway Uruguay. That's good. The rock. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah. were there were a bunch of those, and that was going to be my big thing. And then I hit thirty, and I was like, shoot, what am I doing? Yeah. Like I gotta like this. I don't know. Can I make this work? And I in a. Part of me thinks that if I just kept doing it, I could have made it work, but I, I was looking around and my whole family's in the restaurant business and they were interacting with the community. Meanwhile, I'm in like my boxer shorts till you know, all day editing videos and just like, ah, uh, I need to get outside. Mm. And so I decided to join my family in the restaurant business. It's been really interesting because it's almost like reverse traveling. When you're in a restaurant, as opposed to going out and seeing the world, the world comes, comes to, to you. see you. Yeah. 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 And so I just have met so many incredible people yeah. through the restaurant. What's the name of the restaurant? Let's give it a plug. It's called West of Pecos. West of Pecos. West of Pecos, yeah. Was that a, like a Humphrey Bogart movie or something? There was. Uh, was was it Humphrey Bogart? No, it was somebody else. There I'm, is I'm a West, West of the Pecos film. And the, Where are the, the Pecos? Is the, that so Texas? The, yeah, it is. There's a Pecos in Texas. There's the smaller Pecos in New Mexico, and they're connected by the Pecos River, uh, which goes through the Pecos wilderness. So there's a bunch of Pecos. What the hell does Pecos mean? It sounds like a Spanish word, but I don't yeah, know what it means. Just a name yeah, something. Yeah. And uh, in the Old West, if you went west of the Pecos River, you essentially were entering the lawless Wild West. Uh, Indian were, country. Exactly. They said there was nothing west of the Pecos but rattlesnakes and bad men. So this restaurant is kind of our reimagination of the Old West, the Wild West. We've got a 13-foot Texas Longhorn, a 12-foot rattlesnake uh, skin. Really? And what's the menu? um, It's it's mainly New Mexican, California um, fusion. Mm. It's basically Californian cuisine with New Mexican inspiration. So we've got... Fried chicken, cornbread, guacamole, enchiladas, uh, flautas, fajitas. No rattlesnakes? Um, I have rattlesnake skins in the men's restroom for when you want to go shake the snake. (laughs) Could you not? Could you not? (laughs) Yeah. Don't get bit. Shake the snake. Don't get bit. Yeah. I was talking to a friend about that the other day, like the different euphemisms for taking a piss. Uh, drain the lizard. Like, what a weird thing to say. That is weird, yeah. I'm going to go drain the lizard, or I, I have to go see a man about a horse. Have you heard I that one? I think that is not taking it. I think that might be... Seeing a man about a horse might be um, more than just pain. Taking a shit? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know. I just knew, like, I was at a bar, and a guy said, I have to go see a man about a horse, and he got up and walked away, and I was like, what the fuck yeah, is he talking about? That guy just went through a dump in a bar. Oh, okay. So that's a specific number two reference. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, that's that's my uh, always been my understanding. No. But he probably used one of the free cowboy hats they give away in most restrooms. <laughs> they give those away little, free those cowboy little cowboy tissue hats. paper cowboy hats <laughs> right next to the toilet. You don't oh, wear the, those hats. The the, 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 the toilet seat sanitizing seat system. Cover? What? I guess you can you know use it for that. I, have no, to, I mean, I've never admitted this in public before, but I find public bathrooms are, I, there's, there's part of me, there's like the sort of Marxist, you know, the man of the people. Uh-huh. I kind of feel like there's something really unifying and, and, and wonderful about like, I'm sitting on the same plastic toilet yeah. seat as the, you know, everyone else uh-huh. does. And we're all yeah. in this together. Uh-huh. Seriously, it's a moment of like human unity that I experience in public bathrooms. 
<laughs> I wish you could see the dumbfounded yeah, yeah. expression you know, on part, Tyler's part face of me, here. Actually, I, so you're an elitist. You, you don't want your ass to touch the same seat okay, that strangers' the, asses have touched. No, actually, you want to kill a tree. I am okay. Like a girl. I'm okay touching it. It's just that. I live here in San Francisco, and the things you see on toilet seats. I mean, if there's shit on it, I'm not going to sit or <laughs> yeah. piss or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, but if it's dry and clean, I'll sit on that. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. not? I'm just yeah. a guy. You're just a guy in I'm a just world. A guy. Doing I'm your no thing. better than anyone else. Just went to go else. see a man about a horse. He didn't uh, need to sign uh, a contract. <laughs> you need not... an instruction manual to get those things out. It's like lift up, pull down, right. the origami side. I mean, you're a fucking yeah. TV star. It changes the way you shit in public bathrooms when you're famous. It's you know. But me, I'm just a regular guy. Yeah. If it's not gold. I won't sit on it. Yeah. Do you ever see those toilets with like uh, barbed wire in the, in like plexiglass? Oh, in the plexiglass? That's I think great. That's There's one with cool. goldfish in there. No, I'm just making that up. I'm sure there is. Yeah, and if not, there will be. When Sebastian Younger hears that, he'll be yeah, selling them on selling Etsy. <laughs> yeah, he will. <laughs> I mean, it's cool though. Sebastian you know, his first book was The Perfect Storm. Wow. Yeah. And. He, the way he, I just, I told you, just listen to this podcast with uh, Tim Ferriss, right? Uh -huh. And he told this story. He was, he was uh, trimming trees. He was, uh, you know, one of those guys who goes up in trees with chainsaws. Oh, yeah. and, and, uh, and he cut his leg really badly with oh, a yeah. chainsaw, oh. like sliced through his Achilles tendon and shit. Wow. And um, then, so he was, you know, laid up for a while. And he started thinking about, like, there are all these really dangerous jobs that people do. Yeah. And, they don't get any credit, and yeah. they're out there risking their lives. Some of them are more dangerous than, than war, like going to war, you know, commercial fishermen and loggers sure. and all this. So then he thought, like, oh, that would be an interesting writing idea. You know, I should, like, look into this. So he looked into commercial fishermen, wow. wrote that book, The Perfect Storm, and, <laughs> like, fucking blew up. And, I mean, it must be weird for him to see that title... It's entered the lexicon of the language, yeah. you know? Everything's a fucking perfect storm yeah. to the point where it's sort of a joke. Like, how perfect can that... It, there's so many perfect storms that they can't all be perfect, yeah. you know? There's perfect, floor, perfect storm inflation. That, yeah, gosh. See, if I had him on the podcast, that's what I'd want to talk about. Yeah. Sebastian, do you think there's been perfect storm inflation? And what are you going to do about it when you're president? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So, I, I, I don't mean to rush you, but I'm flying to, to Europe in the morning. Yeah, you so, know, you, you know, know I, I mean, we can talk forever. But what am I missing here? So, you, you made these two films, or no, you made one film about Mongolia. Made a film about Mongolia. Made a film Is that about online? Japan. Can people find that? I think it might still be on iTunes. It was on iTunes for oh, a while. It was on it's iTunes. Wrestling Mongolia. Wrestling Mongolia. Yeah, it, you, you know, you might be. Watch Tyler get his ass yeah. kicked by a bunch of Mongolians. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Body slamming nomads has never been this fun. Did you hook up with any Mongolian women? No, I was still in the relationship with. with uh, yeah, so uh, that was. Because I find Mongolian women extremely attractive, and and uh, Tibetan women. I, I like that sort of windburned, you know, broad cheeks. I spent some time in um, northern India in Nepal, uh -huh. and the the Tibetan women just they're and they're very they're very um, assertive. Uh -huh. they're, you know, their culture honors them yeah. a lot, and and so they're strong, and yeah. they, you know, they're not yeah. like meek. And, and I just I found them so hot. Really, really. I never, I never hooked up with you. You never did. So I was kind of hoping you'd fill me in on uh, it. No? Sorry. No? 
but what about Japanese sexuality? You were in a relationship the whole time, so you probably weren't like sleeping your way across Japan. But, I was not. But Japanese but sexuality is very strange. It is it, very interesting. Yeah, my perspective of it is it's strange. You know, they're they're all in such tight quarters. Yeah. Uh, houses are small. There's just there's just a lot of people in a small space, and so they have these love hotels. Yeah. That they rent out, yeah. and you can go rent them by the hour. Right. And uh, you'll see, you know, businessmen going in with younger women with big puffy socks and sometimes schoolgirl outfits and right. then they'll these businessmen are they'll like buy these really expensive purses and jewelry and whatever it is and yeah. it's a very bizarre thing and that's mainly the big cities but one of the like very bizarre sights that I would experience while walking is the 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 porno vending machine in the middle of the right. countryside <laughs> 10 miles, haven't seen a soul, and then I see this glowing light as I'm rounding the bend. I'm like, what's this, a convenience store? It's no, it's an unmanned vending machine with like sex toys and magazines. Wow. And I never saw it, but apparently some, like I guess a while ago, they had used panties yeah, in some of in them. Yeah, in the metro. They yeah. still sold them in the metro, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just such an odd, like bizarre, twisted monolith that existed, and then you'd walk on by, and then you're back in rural Japanese country. Did I just see that? So it's like the, it's sort of like the, um, the toll booth in Blazing Saddles in the middle yeah, of the desert. Yeah, you remember that? The phantom toll booth. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a strange, it's a strange thing. I had a friend who um, was with a Japanese woman. I think they were married, actually, and. Um, my girlfriend at the time was working with her. She was working in the Hotel Nico here in San Francisco, yeah. a big Japanese hotel. And uh, the four of us went out to dinner, you know, because she's like, oh, you got to meet them. You know, she's great. And Tomoko, I think. And uh, her, her boyfriend, her husband, whatever. And he's an American guy and a really nice guy. And so we're at dinner and, you know, yeah. So how did you guys meet? And uh, he says, well, you know, I was in Japan and... Um, Actually, I was teaching English and I hooked up with Tomoko's roommate. And one night we were at the apartment and she was giving me a blowjob and Tomoko came home and sat down and we started chatting. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> You're getting a blowjob? And he's like, yeah. While they were talking? Right, so she comes in and, and her roommate's like sucking this guy out and, and, and she's just like, oh, hi, oh, you're the American guy. Oh, I heard about you. And, and they're having this sort of small talk conversation while that's happening. And, and Tomoka's laughing, like, oh, it's true. That's, yeah. yeah. But the roommate wasn't saying anything because she was, taught, she was <laughs> taught not to talk with her mouth full. <laughs> she was occupied. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. So, I, and, you know, I've obviously I've studied sexuality. I've never been to Japan, but the contradictions and the weird juxtapositions, like, you, you know, you said porn everywhere. Um, these guys reading, like, violent rape comic books on the subway, but at least reported cases of rape are extremely rare, much yeah. rarer than, than in the West or in Europe. Um, the sort of fetishization of little girls is very high, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of abuse of right. you know, children. The, like you can't have, you can't show an erect penis in Japanese porn. So it's always blurred out uh. in the porn. And you can't have dildos that are shaped like human dicks. Huh. So that's why all the vibrators and dildos in Japan are shaped like a sailor and his dog, you know, uh, or a duck, uh. or you know, like a dolphins. They're all yeah. shaped like weird shit because you can't have a dick-shaped dildo. Fuck. 
far out. But at the same time, you've got these penis festivals in all sorts of Japanese towns where they're like going down the street with these giant penis floats and they're selling like little penis popsicles and it's just like, what the fuck, Japan? Yeah. It's really intense. It's what makes it so great. As a visitor, I guess. You experience but but you would just like never know what's going yeah. on. In Japan is like the most first world yet different place I've experienced from what we know right. in Western It's just Yeah. It's like so, India, yeah. like you expect it to be crazy and right, different. Right. But Japan it's kind of the same. It's yeah. like the same elements just arranged just completely arranged differently. Very differently, yeah. Yeah. It's like someone took the toy box and just shook it up <laughs> exactly. real hard. Exactly. Yeah. So what are you doing now? You're you're how old are you? You're thirty four. Something. I'm 36 next week. 36 next week. Hey, yeah, happy birthday, man. I'm catching up yeah. to 100. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, is that what you're going for? Yeah. You, think, you think you'll make it 100? Yeah, yeah, I'll make it. Yeah. I have to think that way, otherwise I won't. Yeah, I think that way. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. It's like the coyote, like don't look down, don't look yeah. down. Yeah. Wily coyote. Um, yes, it's exactly like that. What do we see? What are we doing? So I run the restaurant. I uh, co-founded a startup here in San Francisco. Oh, everyone's, everyone's got, got a startup. Give me some of that gold. Can we talk about your startup? Yeah, it's called Sunbasket. Sunbasket. Sunbasket was founded in this living room right Ooh. here. Well, this was our first office. So a couple of uh, friends of mine approached me with this idea uh, where, uh, have you heard of Blue Apron? It's, a, yeah. it's ingredients and recipes delivered to your door. And... They're like, this thing is totally taking off. There are a few other companies doing it, but no one's doing an organic version where they're all like focusing on sustainability oh. um, from the food to the packaging to the whole like transparency of where your food comes from. Uh, we could be like the whole foods of this emerging mm. uh, business model. And uh, yeah, so we started cooking recipes here and we hired an incredible chef and then it, uh, <clears throat> it just has been going bonkers. There's a couple boxes there. And we're we're shipping on the East Coast now, and we're shipping heat to eight Western states here, and we're so so. What's in the box? Fresh vegetables, meat. Yeah, so you get to, you get uh, three meals for two people, um, so three recipes for two people, and so you the week before pick. I want the chicken, I want the fish, and I want the veggie, or the steak, or right. the pork, whatever it is you want. And we're also we we do diet, we do specific diet plans. So if you wanted to do a gluten free, gluten free, or right. paleo, or vegetarian. Right. Interesting. So it just saves you the trouble of going to the store, you know, finding the stuff, how much of it. Exactly. I can show. I have some of the bags in the fridge, Mm. my microphone. But essentially, you get it. Everything pre-portioned, and some of it's made. Like we'll make some of the labor-intensive sauces for you, so you're not having to do it. Right. And actually, when we started this, I, I didn't think I was going to use it. Is now I'm now I rely on it. Um, it's well, you've because got the discount code. I, get, I do get the discount code. Yeah. It's true. You just but like that fucking UPS dude showing up every day. That scratches me up in, your itch. It gets me up in the morning. Yeah. But essentially, when you go, when you cook a meal, you you kind of have to premeditate what you're going to do, and then you have to go shopping. You have to perfectly portion. Usually, you can't buy the exact amount of uh, ingredients that you want right. if it's in a jar or something. And so, you get home. You have a bunch of leftovers. You've made something that you, maybe you've made a thousand times before. Or you try it for the first time and doesn't end up perfect. This, it's like very clear directions with amazing, delicious chef design recipes. And uh, 
it's a perfect amount for two people and it forces you to eat healthy and you try new hmm. new foods and it's, so it's for it's for like young couples it's not for people with kids or like we're, aging we're working parents. on a family plan but uh yeah no we uh, one, so young couples big uh like the single the single singles are actually really big too because they make leftovers and keep them in the fridge or and, date night Date night's you know, big. Date night's it's really, big. For all you guys out there looking to impress a lady, exactly. Just hide the sun basket just box. Just hide the box or keep it because it doesn't. If you still, it's a home cooked meal. It was cooked in your home, and exactly. you're the ones who put and the, you cooked you it. You put the flame underneath it. She doesn't need to know that you have no fucking clue what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. it's the first. Yeah, and you can actually say, "Well, that's the first time I've made this dish." Yeah, and she'll be like, "What?" Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I used to, when I was single, I used to, um, there were like four things I knew how to make. Yeah. And man, I was really good at those nice. four things. And then the fifth I date, you'd be like, hey, uh, you feel like pasta? <laughs> no, it's yeah. like, I figured by the fifth date, it's either it's either happening yeah, or it's yeah, not, yeah. you know? And <laughs> if it no is. No more need to impress. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Your I'll, true personality is already <laughs> leaked through the cracks. Well, she it's knows gonna, who you are. It's going to happen no eventually, you know? Yeah. So why wait? I, yeah. That's one of the things I've learned in life is like, you know, don't, don't try to, don't work to get into a place you're not going to be comfortable staying yeah. in. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. So if she's the kind of woman who's going to still be like uptight after four home cooked delicious meals and still need me to prove something fuck her the hell with her i'll move on to someone else her roommate for example tomoko tomoko exactly you want to be with the tomokos of this world you know yeah i had the reason i said tomoko was when i was a kid we had an AFS student, American uh-huh. Field Service, these like exchange students uh-huh. who came and stayed with our family for, she wasn't with us the whole time, but there was like, she had been based, she was in Wisconsin or something. And then they all sort of moved together to New York and they stopped along different places. So she stayed with our family for three or four days, Tomoko Matsuyuki. Mm. And I must have been maybe 12, 13, and she was probably 16 or 17. Wow. And man, I still remember Tomoko in the swimming pool in her bikini. And I was like this little redheaded kid with braces in Western yeah. in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And that was yeah. like, wow, like wow. exotic. That was it for me, you're, man. You're never, you're never gonna forget that. And I will never forget Tomoko Matsuyuki. It's continue to galvanize and to become more of a precious it's going to be so amazing that that little librarian in your head, when he pulls it back, it's going to just be like wheeling it on a giant cart. What, Tomoko? Like, yeah, you don't even need to go out of the cart. It's not like a front. It's like right there. She's. The a, she, he, I don't need the little librarian. She's right yeah, there. She's right on there. the stacks right in front there. We actually named the library Tomoko Library. <laughs> it's like there's no forgetting. <laughs> Would it be funny if yeah. Tomoko actually like listened to this podcast to keep her English, you know, yeah. and she'd be like, Oh, Christopher from Pennsylvania, I remember you, that crazy, horny little 11-year-old. Why didn't you just ask? ask I had what? a crush on you. Ask what? Tomoko had oh, a crush. Oh, Tomoko's thinking it. Yeah, she's, she's thinking, like, yeah, she's I kind of love like, that little red-headed stares idiot. stares at me. Yeah. Ah, uh, Tomoko. But I never got to Japan, man. You know? But, you know, you know I've been around. I've been other places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's not talk about that. What? So, so uh, have we? Have we? I, I have to tell oh you. Like, I was out at the fucking watching the Golden State Warriors win yeah. Game Seven oh, yeah. of the semifinals. Uh-huh. So I, I've had a few beers. 
Oh, fantastic. Because they're used to me being extremely focused and oh, professional. Oh, gosh. Thank so you. this is, this is a you. departure. Do you want another beer? No, no. We gotta, I got to roll. Yeah, well, you I, can I take it for the road. It's a to-go to go beverage. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this, I'm man. I'm so happy to do this. This is great. Sunbasket.com. Sunbasket.com. Westofpecos.com. Christopher Ryan. PhD.com, marriage, marriage, marriage 2.0. Marriage 2.0. Yeah, we have to do the show award notes. Winning. The show notes. Uh, I got this great book, Sex at Dawn. It's signed. Very excited to see. It looks like Eve there using a little branch to cover up her business. Uh, that painting, the original, you know, the uh, actual painting is in Pasadena. Okay. At the Pasadena something or other. Cool. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah. Book publishers love old paintings because yeah. they don't have to pay anyone to use them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was well, it got to be over fifty years old? Or no, I don't know. Okay. I, don't know. I think I don't, know. I don't know what the laws are. Sexadon.com. So Tyler Mc, uh, McNiven. McNiven. Thank you very much for doing this. You can Google Tyler and read all about his. We didn't even talk about your your campaign to get into Stanford. There's a lot we didn't talk about, yeah, but that's what so the internet's much. there for. It is archive yeah. of just attention grubbing whores <laughs> like myself. Are you on like Instagram and do you do all that no, stuff? No, I did a website called SFC. Secrets, where you can go watch uh, you know, minute, minute and a half long videos about secret spots in San Francisco. Oh, so you can check that out. But then, uh, yeah, I don't do it. Don't do it. Just, you don't do the social don't media. Do the social that much. Yeah. Okay. I mean, should I? Should I be doing social? Unless you have, probably not. I don't nah. know. I don't know. Nah, I don't think so. Yeah. Not right now. If you ever decide to, just let me know. Well, I'll, get, I'll retweet you. Okay, great. When I go yeah. to run, finish the length of running. When I go to finish running the length of Iran, I will hit social again. You know, I've got this book idea that I've already pitched to my agent. He loves it. And it involves, I won't go through the whole thing right now, but the one of the things in the book is me taking some sort of a long journey. And I'd like it to be walking. Or, or going down a river on a raft. I thought of going down the Mekong River from like Laos to Vietnam on a raft. Um, but I'm thinking walking, and I've been looking at um, walks through the Italian Alps. Wow. I think, because there are all these pilgrimage routes through the Italian Alps. I looked at the Camino Santiago, but that's become such uh, a thing, you know. That I got I, an idea for you. Good. How about the, uh, the 10 100s? And what it is, is you go to 10 famous walls around the world, borders, ancient walls, existing walls, and you walk 100 miles along the walls, and you talk to people on both sides. Oh. And it's like the concept of what a wall is. Oh, that's and, interesting. Uh, like Hadrian's Wall. Like, you can do Hadrian's Wall, yeah. you can do the Great Wall, you can do the, you know, the, the, the border here, the, the Mexican-American oh. border. Well, you that can would do, be, I'd the, get yeah. shot by a redneck or, or a drug baron. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I did that. I was in Ciudad Juarez years ago oh, wow. before it really got crazy. And I went yeah. down into the Barranca del Cobre, the Copper Canyon in oh, northern Mexico, wow. which now is completely inaccessible. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. You ever read Born to Run? Born to Run? Uh, I read part of it. It's right there on the shelves, the blue one. Oh, on there it is, yeah. That, that He goes down into he goes that, in the Copper Canyon. Bato Pilas and yeah. the yeah, Tarahumaras. Yeah, kidnapped there. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's a good place to get kidnapped. It's great, right? You're yeah. right. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're looking for. That's an interesting idea. We'll talk about that. Hey, thank you. It's been an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, my I, gosh. I know. i got to wrap this up. Yeah. i got, I got to go pack for a 15-hour flight.
Bien viaje, señor. Gracias, gracias. Thank you for doing this, man. Mucho gusto. Yeah. Um, do you, you have photos online I can use, right? Just, just take them. Here, all right, just hold on, them. hold on. I like to do this. I like... Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to take a photo of today's guest. Here he is. <laughs> you look like a McNiven. You look like... Who do you look like? You look like... Uh, Bill Walton. Yeah, a little Bill Walton. Yeah, I'm thinking one of the Monty Python guys, too. Like, yeah, I don't remember which one. Not John Cleese. No, no, the one that died? I don't think so. <laughs> Eric, Idle, Eric Idle. Eric Idle. You got a little Eric Idle, and he's the does that world Thank traveling you. thing. Well, and That's, I told you this the first time I met you, but you're like a uh, handsome Phil Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, which which is sort of a contradiction in terms, but you know, what are, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm a handsome Felicity Ruffin. That's like a, you know, it's like a swarthy Woody Allen. I yeah, don't know what yeah, that means. All right, we're Go done. We're done. Go get them. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does, please direct them through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com you click on that baby once bookmark the landing page on amazon and then eight to ten percent of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones thank you to basin and range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast very funky little tune there uh called the bright side of the sun i believe you can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com if you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners a good place to do that is on reddit just search tangentially speaking all one word there's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes i drop in occasionally and say hello answer questions whatever uh thanks to shore design t-shirts our garage is full of them my mom has them all organized as only she can julie thank you to julie my mom she'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them everything we've got in stock is from shore design t-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C A R S I E B L A N T O N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone, I don't 
die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day to the ground. 